All right, would you mind standing in honor of God's word? We are in the final week of a series that began long, long, long ago called Uniquely Luke. These are stories and parables that are only found in the gospel of Luke. Today's is from Luke chapter 23. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine, vinegar, and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts, open up our minds, and speak to us. I pray that you'd break all deception. Holy Spirit, you are the true teacher. You are the anointing that teaches us all things. Fill this place. Hide me behind the cross, and, and let your work be done here. God, we open our hearts right now, and we thank you in advance for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The title of the message today is The Power of Salvation. Paul says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So point one today is how the power was won. The Christ, to win the power to give salvation, had to lay his life down. Now this is absolutely contrary to human reasoning. The rulers, this is the Jewish rulers, have got a very firm idea of what Messiah is going to be. And they say, you have saved others so they're, they're even witnessing the fact that many have been healed in Jesus' ministry. If you're the Christ, prove it by saving yourself. The soldiers, they don't know any of the Jewish prophecies, but they can read the sign. It says the king of the Jews. If you're a king, kings have power. Save yourself. If you're really the king, save yourself. And then this thief on the cross, clearly a Jew as well, because he also says, you're the Messiah. If, you're, if you're really the Messiah, then save yourself and save me. <laughs> save us. Because that's just how human beings think about power. If you have the power, 
You show it, you demonstrate it by using the power. But for Jesus to have any power to save you, to save me, he had to lay his life down. This was what Messiah was going to do. It's prophesied by Isaiah in Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. So it turns out that God has his own naughty and nice list. Who would have guessed it? Here's what that list looks like. There's only one person on his nice list, and that's Jesus. All the rest of us are on the naughty list. Look at this verse. This is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous, that's the nice list, that's him. For the unrighteous, that's the naughty list, that's you to bring you to God. There's no way for you or me to come to God, to be made right with God, except that Jesus came and died in our place. He took our sins on the cross. This is how he won the power of salvation. So now we're on point two, the power of forgiveness. So Jesus says on the cross, Father, forgive them They know not what they do. Now, the Father cannot forgive them because of his own holiness. He is the the just, the, the judge of the whole universe. He cannot forgive anyone unless Jesus goes through and dies and does not come off that cross. But Jesus has all power to forgive because he's died on that cross. So here's what God does. I I, I want to read this verse to you first because his power to forgive is stunning. Listen to this verse. This is Romans 10, 11 through 13. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, and listen to this, richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So here's what we have. We have got this guy. We don't know his past, but we know his, that he's gotten into a very dark lifestyle. He is, he is a thief. He's been caught. He's condemned. He acknowledges it. He says, we're getting what we deserve. He really is a thief. There's, not, there's no hiding here. He has lived a very, very dark life. And in his last moments, he says, Remember me. When you come into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Now this is stunning, that God would choose this guy to be the first one to demonstrate the, the power, his power to forgive. This guy, this guy didn't accept Christ. He didn't, he didn't realize, he had no theology that Jesus is dying in your place and he's dying for your sins. He doesn't know theology. He, doesn't, he didn't pray the sinner's prayer. He didn't even raise his hand and put his hand on his heart and repeat after me. He didn't do that. He didn't get baptized in water. He never took communion. 
He shouldn't be, what? He didn't do any of our formulas. How could he possibly be saved? Because Jesus is so powerful and his forgiveness is so complete that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, even if they don't have all the facts just right, his, his, his cross is so sufficient that he can just say, oh, that's good enough, you're with me. Wow. So Jesus had said that if I am lifted up on the cross, this is John 12, 32 and 33, if I'm lifted up on that cross, I'm gonna draw all people to myself. He is today for people that are far away from him in all kinds of religions and sins and whoever, he is drawing people. This is what's going on today. November 23rd, 2023, so this is very, very recent. We had a report. I'm just gonna read it to you. The report was first posted online by author and Christian apologist Michael Lacona, who said God is working in the midst of war. Lacona is a professor of New Testament studies at Houston Christian University and the author of multiple books, including The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus and Paul Meets Muhammad. The report, he said, was coming out of Palestine. He's connected to many missionaries that are serving over there. From underground Christian ministries, over the the past two days, the report from the ministry said, we have ministered to hundreds of fathers who have lost most, if not all, of their children in the war. As we moved these men to safety, we fed them, washed their clothes, and began to read the Bible to them sharing the way of peace through Jesus. The report said, then a big miracle happened. Last night, Jesus appeared to more than 200 of them in their dreams. They have come back to us to learn more from God's word and are asking how to follow Jesus. I want you to think of the I want you to think of the war in Gaza and the atrocities that have been done and the injustices and, and these specific men who have, are Muslims, faithful Muslims, trusting Allah and everything has been stripped from them. They have been taught against Jesus, against the gospel, against Christians, but they, they've lost everything. And as they're coming out, it's the Christians that are meeting them with food and drink and clothes, and while they do it, they're reading the Bible to them. Why? Because they're open to the Bible now. They're open to something different. And I want, you to th- I want you to think about this. Jesus can do whatever he wants to do to draw people. So he gives 200 men the same dream. It's, it's about the man in white. It's about Jesus appearing in white, declaring himself to be the I am. Could you imagine these guys coming out of their tents? Somebody saying, what's wrong? What happened to you, bud? He said, I had a dream last night. And they start, and one tells the dream. And it's like, oh my, I had that dream. And then as they compare notes, 200 men in the same night get the same dream. Jesus loves people. I don't understand why God allows all the things that he allows in this world. 
it, it's horrible. We don't have to, we can't explain everything that goes on in this world, but we know this, God is honoring the free will of people and he's not forcing people, he's drawing people. But make no mistake about it, he is working and there's nothing that he can't do. Come on, Lord. So let me, let me just share a very practical story about the power of forgiveness. This is a very personal, I should say. Some of you are like, Tom, you've got to get some new stories. Well, I've only got one life and I've only got so many stories, sorry. So this one was in 1991. My dad was in trouble. He was in trouble physically. He was dying of cancer. He was just loaded with cancer. And it was so bad that that the hospice had a bed set up in our living room and it was, it, we knew there was just weeks to live. And uh, I've got five siblings, so there were six of us that would nurse him. And of course, hospice comes in and does what they do, which is just amazing. But overnight, we would, we would take shifts. So he was in really, really bad shape physically, but I was probably among the only ones that knew he's, he was also in very, very bad shape spiritually. When he first got cancer, we, we talked, and, and I'm, there was a strained relationship with me and my dad. I, I was Catholic, and they felt like I became Protestant when I got saved, and then I became a Protestant pastor, and it just, there was just a lot of tension, so, but... When he first got it, we, we talked. And I found out, even though dad went to church all the time, and we prayed at every meal, that it was cultural. It, he didn't believe. He, he, he saw himself as a philosopher, and he didn't believe the gospel. He, he believed that all good people will go to heaven, and, and it's, it's a matter of how good we are, and that he just didn't believe what the Catholics say they believe in the creed. He just, he, he didn't believe. And guys, listen to me. That's not good enough. It's not good enough to go to church and sing the songs. It's not good enough to be around Christianity. You actually have to believe you actually have to believe what Jesus did is real and that it is for you. So I knew he was in trouble spiritually. I knew he was not trusting Christ. He was trusting his own righteousness, his own goodness. And so I was praying for him. I was praying for him all the time. And at that time, this church was called Lake City Church at the time, and I was on staff. I was the college and career pastor, and we had a five o'clock prayer meeting every Sunday. And it was kind of an interesting prayer meeting because we didn't, we never prayed together. And we all came together, but we all prayed separately. You just prayed yourself for an hour, but we were in the same room. And so I, I, was, I was going, it was, it was in the spring of, of 91, I start praying for dad. And I can't pray for him. I start praying for him and I just, I can't, and my words get stopped with joy bubbling over. And I've just got all this joy. I'm like, I wonder if something has happened. And, and so after the Sunday night service, I went to Milton, time to take my shift, and I, I get to the door, and my sister Katie, who's a Christian, at the time, the only other Christian in the family, Katie says, Tommy, we have to talk, and she pulls me into the utility room. And so it, we're in there, they hate it, the rest of the family hated it when we would talk about Jesus in front of them, so she said, Tommy, let me tell you what happened. She said, Friday night, dad was very restless, just turning and tossing, and I was the nurse on duty, I'm sleeping on the couch, but dad is wrestling, so I'm wrestling, and all of a sudden, he cries out 
all right, what's the barrier to Jesus? And so she said, I popped up off that couch. I, I told dad the basic, simple gospel. I said, dad, I'm going to pray a prayer. And at this point, he can't really, well, he's just, there's something about family. There's pride. I don't know what it is. But anyway, she just said, I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you want to pray it after me, you can just pray it in your heart. You don't even have to say it out loud. Just pray it in your heart. So she prays a prayer for Jesus to come into his life and to forgive his sins. And when she's done praying, he squeezes her hand and sleeps perfectly the rest of the night. She said, Tommy, to my family, I am Tommy, sorry. (laughs) Tommy, do you think that was it? Is it possible that it could be that easy? And I'm like, Katie, I know it. I know it. I told told her what had happened to me in the prayer meeting. It was God's way of saying, that's good enough. He has the power to forgive. To whoever calls on the name of the Lord, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, he's going to richly bless. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It was enough because Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Hallelujah. So here we go. Second Peter chapter one, verses eight and nine. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have lived, that they have been cleansed from their past sins. You can be forgiven of your sins, but not live forgiven. And when we don't live forgiven, let me, let me give you the whole context, okay? So 2 Peter 1.4, Peter says, we are partakers of the divine nature. Through precious promises, God himself comes and he makes us born again. He puts his eternal life, he puts his very nature inside of us. Christianity is not us trying to look like Jesus. It is Jesus' life coming to live in us. But there is a habitat that this life in us grows up in, and it is the habitat of forgiveness, that that we are amazed and awestruck that we are forgiven, that we are genuinely forgiven, and in that context, when you know you're forgiven, you forgive others. It, 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 it's just part of it. It's, it's, a, it's, the, it's the habitat of forgiveness, because if you genuinely believe you are forgiven, even though all of the sins you've committed, it is not that hard to forgive other people. (laughs) And that's just, this is the habitat that the divine life grows in. So what Peter says, the divine nature's in you, so, so diligently pay attention to it and add to your faith virtue more knowledge about God, self-control, perseverance, godliness, kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, you're going to be fruitful and you're going to be effective. Your life is going to change the world. But if you have not 
if these, if these aren't working, if, if you're not growing, if you're not changing, then you have forgotten that your sins are forgiven. You have created a habitat where the divine life cannot grow and cannot flourish. So I want to talk about guilt with you. I want to talk about good guilt and bad guilt. Here's good guilt. Good guilt. You've, you, you, you are walking with Jesus. You sin. The Holy Spirit points out that sin and says, you did this wrong. Good guilt is this. You agree with the Holy Spirit and you ask him to forgive you and you say, I'm, I will, by your power, I'm not going to do that again. That is good guilt. It's called conviction. The Holy Spirit brings it. It's called walking in the light. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then the blood of Jesus will cover and wash every other sin. So, so, so God, only, God doesn't overwhelm us. He doesn't say you're horrible and you're horrible in every way. He says he will come with just this is what's wrong, this one thing. That's called walking in the light. So you just walk in the light and you will stay in fellowship with Jesus. You'll stay in this place, this habitat, where the divine nature will, will grow. Now, if you, if you don't confess your sin, if you don't repent, if you don't walk in the light as a Christian, it doesn't mean you're, you don't still have a relationship with God. I mean, my oh my, just because your kids are naughty and, and not admitting it does not mean that they're no longer your children. They are absolutely still your children. There's just, there's, there's just no fellowship. Has anybody ever had lost fellowship with their teenager? They're, they're mad, they're angry, they're blaming you, they're taking no responsibility, and they're not talking to you because you hate me, and, 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 and so they're still your kid, but this is not, there's no, there's no fellowship. So what good guilt does is brings us back into fellowship. And so... Keep your accounts short with God. <laughs> if you've sinned, the Holy Spirit will help you. This is why you have a quiet time every day. This is time why you come to church is, is if the Holy Spirit brings something up, it's, it's not to condemn you, it is to convict you, to bring you back into fellowship with God. All right, so now we talk about bad guilt. Here's what bad guilt looks like. In the Bible, it's called condemnation. And what it produces in a believer is spiritual anxiety. Where even though you've accepted Christ, even though you're a Christian, even though you go to church, you're anxious all the time because you feel like you fall short, like you are not good enough. It's usually tied to something you did in the past that you can't quite rise above. The enemy is an accuser, guys. This is Revelation 12.10. The accuser of our brothers has been cast down. He accuses us day and night as we try to come before God. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony about that blood. This is the only way that you will win this, this fight against condemnation. The enemy wants to define you by your worst sin. He wants to define you by your worst failure. 
He wants to define you by your weakness. He wants to say, this is who you are. You did this, you did this, you've had this bad attitude. You're a hypocrite. You say you're this, you sing the song in church, you did this, you're a hypocrite. You are, and it's really hard to defend yourself because it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to, it's hard, it's hard to defend. And so what happens is oftentimes Christians try harder. They want to feel better, so they try harder. Listen, you trying harder is not going to remove condemnation from you. It's not, because you're doing an end run on the cross. You're, you're trying to be good enough. You can't be good enough. Don't try harder, come closer. Amen. Here's how God defines you. Yep, all that's true, devil. Thanks for reminding me of my past sins and all that stuff, because that reminds me of the blood of Jesus that was shed for me. It reminds me that, he, that I am forgiven, that I'm cleansed, and my testimony is not about my goodness, it's about his goodness. It, it, it's not about my work, it's about his finished work. And so I am living free from condemnation. I'm living free from spiritual anxiety. I am, I am in this wonderful relationship that my Savior has died for me to walk in. And folks, if you don't stand up for yourself and you don't fight back against condemnation, it will take all of your joy. There's no joy living condemned. It's just, there's just anxiety. And what's gonna happen is, what happens is people get depressed, even though they're Christian, even though they're trying really hard, and I'm reading more, and I'm praying more, and I'm fasting more, and I can't get rid of this thing. Listen, here's what you need to do. Stand up and fight in Jesus' name. You, 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 gotta, you gotta add your testimony to the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is enough. Remember that you're forgiven. The power in that is incredible because here's your other option here's the other thing you can do with bad guilt or condemnation you can get weary of living spiritually anxious and just harden your heart i will harden my heart to all things of god and his voice because i don't want i'm tired of feeling bad and you become very hard and very cynical and it's funny, because you can still go to church and still do the stuff and know the Bible and that and be absolutely hard, absolutely unmoved, absolutely far from the presence of God because you just got sick and tired of feeling anxious and condemned. Hardening your heart is not the answer for, for bad guilt. <laughs> we need to repent and we need to let Jesus forgive us let Jesus cleanse us, and then we need to stand in it and know this. Just stay right with God, and, and he's gonna, the divine nature will make you beautiful. These things are in you, the, 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 the perseverance, the godliness, the, the kindness, the love, they're all in you. They just need to be given the right habitat. So we need to live forgiven. All right, and that brings us to my last point, the purpose of the power. So Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. What does that mean? Some people say, think, well, that means heaven. You will be with me in heaven. 
Well, the problem is Jesus didn't go to heaven that day. Jesus actually went to the center of the earth to a place called Hades. He didn't suffer in Hades. It's a a region. Jesus, Jesus said as Noah was, or as Jonah was in the middle of a whale, for three days, I will be in the middle of the earth for three days. There is a, a region for the unbelieving that's a place of torment. There's another place in, in Luke 16 called Abraham's bosom, which is a holding tank. It's a holding tank for the righteous. And Jesus was, was down there. He was with the righteous. And on the third day, on the resurrection, he opens up that region and, and, and no one has to go there anymore. You just go right to heaven now because he's opened up heaven for us. But I'm just kind of this literalist guy and so I'm like, so is Abraham's bosom, that part of Hades, is that paradise? Is that called paradise? And then earlier this year, I heard a teaching by Tim Mackey. Tim Mackey does the Bible project and he maintains and with good reason, he knows the Greek better than anybody, this isn't about a place, this is about a relationship. The word paradise there is the word that's used for the Garden of Eden. Today, you will be with me in the garden. Today, fellowship is going to be restored between man and God, and you're going to be in that relationship that you were created for. Today, I'm restoring the intimate, the intimacy of the garden, and you are going to be with me in the garden again. And so, Tim Mackey maintains paradise is a person, not a place. So, I had an experience in 2016 that really, really brought this home. I, I grew up at 200 Green Hill Circle, same house our whole life. That house was a refuge for me. Whenever, whenever I was, uh, I would bring my friends to our house and, um, and be with my family and that was the only place I really ever felt secure with my friends is when we were at our house because it was the place that I went to for refuge. When we went to Minnesota for 15 years, we had four little kids. Every vacation, we would come back to be at that house and to be in that place that I felt safe. Poor Alice, every vacation, are you kidding me? Going back to see your family, and we would see hers too, but that was my safe place. That was my that was my place. And so it was a crisis in 2016. My, at this time, my mom's health was failing a little, and my siblings are like, we need to get mom out of that house. She can't, she can't manage that whole house. And I'm just, I, I would go down there all the time. Milton's about a half hour from here. I'd go down there every week and pay her bills and spend time with her. And I just, I did not want to let go of that house because I just, I couldn't imagine the grief that I would suffer at the loss of that house. So 2016, we moved mom from Milton to this apartment in McFarland. And I'm waiting for this grief to hit me about that house. And I'm like, oh my, home is not a place, it's a person. Home just moved to this apartment in McFarland. Mom was still my refuge. I could always go and be with mom. It, it was a person, not a place. 
Now, there is a real heaven, folks. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. There is a place for you. There is a real heaven. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be awesome. But the home is not the heaven. It's, it's Jesus. Jesus said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you might be also. And you will be with me forever. He is our home. So that brings us to this morning. So I do the one-year Bible. Um, This morning's New Testament reading is from Revelation chapter 2, 1 through 7. And it's about this church in Ephesus. And that this church is, Jesus commends them. You guys are doing all the right stuff and you have all the right doctrine and you're persevering. You're, you're working really, really hard for me. You're, you're believing the right stuff. You're, you're doing the right stuff. But he says, but there's one thing that you're not doing. You've forgotten your first love. You've left your first love. You don't have joy anymore. I miss the way you used to do stuff. I miss the way you used to do what you did. You, used, you, you didn't even notice your own sacrifice. You were so in love with me. You were so excited about me. And that, that is gone. And so all, all I've got left are people that have got right doctrine and work hard and do their disciplines. But I miss, I miss the intimacy. And it's funny because any of us would say that church is really a healthy church. It's a growing church. And and uh, you know that would be a really good church. It's doctrinally sad, and 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 but that's not how Jesus saw it. Jesus said, "If you if you don't repent, I will remove your candlestick. I'll remove your influence as a church. I don't want you reproduced. I didn't die for workers. I died for lovers. And I'm calling you back to intimacy with me. Repent and come back to intimacy. Come back to joy in me." Walk with me. And then we get to verse seven. Are you kidding me? I mean, he knew, he, I, this is all prepared. Everything I'm gonna preach is, is already prepared. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give him the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is not, this is future for those who overcome that day. They will live with him forever. But this is a present promise to them that if they will repent, they will eat from the tree of life in the, par- in the garden of God. What? So here's the garden, guys. There are two trees in the garden. There's the tree of life. And there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And even though God was walking with Adam and Eve, they never fulfilled their destiny. They were created for eternal life. They had to eat of the tree of life to get eternal life, to, to have his divine nature, to, to have that intimacy. And they never, they never ate of the tree of life. They ate of the wrong tree. That's why they got locked out of the garden so they wouldn't get back in and eat the tree of life and live forever apart from God. That was never God's plan. So the tree of life foreshadows another tree, the cross. The new tree of life is the cross. Jesus, from the tree of life, 
says, you're going to be with me in the garden. I'm, I'm giving you my eternal life. I'm giving you this relationship. I'm restoring this relationship. This is what you and I were created for. This is the purpose of the power. Purpose of the power isn't so that you'll just go to heaven one day. It's not just so that your sins will be forgiven and you don't feel guilty anymore. God is crazy in love with you and he wants you to experience the joy of being his. And he wants you to walk with him now. He wants us to live in this restored garden of intimacy with him. So there's a guy named Mark Verkler, and he wrote a book called Hearing God years ago. At the time that he wrote this book, he was the president of a Christian university and had much influence and was connected to ministry all over the world, and, and, uh, but, in, but, but he told about this experience he had. It was a spring day, it was a beautiful spring day, The flowers in his garden were all budding and he was out in his garden walking and just just enjoying the presence of God. Just, Just loving God and loving the beauty around him and he's just walking with God and all of a sudden he is overtaken with the feeling of I am selfish. There, I, I could be praying for the lost right now. I could be praying for the poor right now. I could be using this time in so such a better way. How can I spend this time just doing this? And the Holy Spirit speaks to him. Here's what he says. What you are doing right now is the culmination of why I created you. That was the word. The main reason that you and I were created was not to meet needs or to survive in this world. Think about it. Before the fall, there were no lost people. There were no needs to be met. There were no poor people. The reason you and I were created, the highest reason, was to know and enjoy God. Do you know the word Eden means delight? You were created to be the delight of God, and to find your delight in him. So the highest thing that you and I can do is walk with God. Isn't it amazing? This is is why Jesus died on that cross. This is eternal life. John 17, 3, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom we have sent.